All right, so I love new series, and just to let you know, you're in trouble because I really love new series like this because this is, to me, a real thinking uh, series, and I love to try to get you to think and to reason, and so let me go ahead and say up front, because I'll get in trouble uh, otherwise, I may challenge some of the things that you believe or that you think you have kind of built your belief on. Uh, hopefully, as I do that, every time I challenge it, I'll be challenging it from what the scripture says because that's how we grow, is we listen to, we hear, and we understand uh, the things that God is trying to communicate to us and the things that God is telling us. And so I always like to jump in hard um, on something like this. So just to let you know, if you have your Bibles with you, um, you can kind of open it up to the very middle and if you open up the very middle, you usually end up in Psalms or Job or something like that. But to the left of that, I'm sorry, to the left of Psalms is Job. And we're going to go through the entire book of Job this morning. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> it's only like 42 chapters. It's not that hard for us to go through it. But I'm going to try to go through the story because it is a long story. Have you ever had, just a just question. How many of you have ever read the entire book of Job? How many people? Okay, good. So you know, whew, I did it. I can check that off. I don't ever have to do it again. Okay, I understand that also. But there's some really important things there about uh, what we believe that we're going to jump into in just a few minutes. But before we do, the title of this is uh, the starting point or picking your starting point because we all have to pick the starting point in our lives when we, when we look at or we examine the idea of is there a God? And is God real and is he personal and does he care? So what is the starting point? Most people would say, well, the starting point is we gotta to go to the book of what? Genesis, right, go to back to the very beginning and you jump in the very beginning and if you've ever done that, you read Genesis, it's great, a lot of stories in there, you get to Exodus, really good, then all of a sudden, you get to these next three books, they're a little tougher, you know, numbers, let's just, oh my God, I know what numbers are, you know, so, and you go through all these generations and all these laws and rules and it just kind of bogs down. And, and the reason uh, that we go to Genesis is because we think, well, that's the beginning, that's God creating, that's where you should go. But what I wanna throw at you is the idea, that's really not where we begin. People don't begin there. We really begin somewhere else. In fact, let me go to one of the greatest theologians, or maybe not the greatest, but one of the greatest theologians that uh, before our time that you may have heard of and you, you may know, and her name was Maria. She starred in The Sound of Music. Okay, I'm being serious, and I remember. And so she comes, uh, she's an orphan. Um, she's, as an orphan, she's put in an abbey. And uh, there in an abbey, of course, if you're an orphan, you're gonna find your meaning and your purpose in a place that you belong. Does she find that? They say to her, you know what? Maybe you belong somewhere else, right? So they kind of help her out the door. If you know her story, she goes and she becomes a nanny of some kids. And she's trying to teach them about the beginnings of music. Don't you like that? The, you know, and, and, and you know this song. She says this. She says, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. When you read, you begin with and when you sing, you begin with do re mi, do re mi. The first three notes just happen to be do re mi, do re mi, fa sol la ti. And then she reconsiders. 
A doe, a deer, a female deer, Ray, a drop of golden sun, me, a name I call myself, Fa, needs an R, run, so, a needle pulling thread, La, a note to follow, so, tea, a drink with jam and bread, that will bring us back to Oh, 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 yeah, so she's teaching them about music. Didn't, see, you didn't know that you knew all that theology, did you? Okay, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you. As my wife says, he, don't clap, don't encourage him to do things like that. And, uh, <laughs> but the, her point is, she's going back to the basics of music, foundational notes, trying to build something. But the problem is, which is why she reconsiders Mm, that's actually not how we do it. It really isn't. We just like music. We like singing. We hear a song. We, start, we don't really understand how it's put together. We just like the music. And eventually, if you go into music and you want to work harder and you want to read music and all, you have to go then to the foundations and to the basics. But it's really not the place that you start. Um, we, we tend to start with our lives with what we go through, with what we experience. In fact, I put this in your outline. I think it will pop up here. Um, maybe, there it is. If you're looking for God, you tend to look for God in your what? In your circumstances. You know, is there a real God? Does he care? Well, you look at your own life just as Maria did, you know, and she found a place that she thought cared and it wasn't the place for her. That, that's the way most of us go through life and we experience life. It makes perfect sense that we would do it that way, even though what I'm hoping that you'll catch is it doesn't make perfect sense to think that your life is the foundation of who God is, right? Because they're two different things. You and I are, are beings, people that God loves, that he created. The Bible says that he created us to love us, he wanted to love us and care for us, but he also wanted to teach us to love him. So there's a purpose in it, there's a plan in it, but our circumstances, our lives, what we go through doesn't necessarily tell us about who God is or the foundations of who God is. In fact, let me go to this uh, story because in Job, which is a really long story, um, I guess the best way to describe it is Job is a, in the Bible, Job is, Job is in the poetic books. I know that may sound strange to you because you think, it didn't seem like a lot of poetry to me in Job, but in, in their view, Job is in a poetic uh, form because of the way that it contrasts different things in there. Um, many believe that Job may be, in the Bible, the oldest written book. It was maybe even older than Moses writing uh, Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, and uh, it's been around a long time. It, uh, the, the setting of it is a real setting. There are, there's a place called uh, Uz uh, that was there, and later it becomes Oz, but uh, you know, it was, uh, okay, that's a different story, uh, but Uz is a real place. It's, it's either uh, up north of where Israel would be uh, in what would be now Syria, or it's down more likely down in Arabia is this place, and uh, there's a good chance that, you know, this is real people and uh, real stories, but it could be because it's poetry, a conglomeration of different things. So let me jump in here with you. This is how the story starts. It says this, verse number one. There once was a man, does that sound like fairy tale? But yeah, okay. So there once was a man named, say it with me, Job. Okay, there once was a man named Job to live in the land of 
Sounds like poetry a little bit. He was, catch this, here's his character. He was blameless. He was a man of complete integrity. He feared God and he stayed away from evil. Wow. So Job is described in these glowing words, wonderful words about who he is, um, about his respect for God, him honoring God with his life, and because of that, him working hard to stay away from evil in his life. And then it goes on in the next verse, describes more. He says he had seven sons, which was not uh, unusual in, in this day to have this many sons or this many children, but was a great honor for him, and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, he owned 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and he employed many servants. That was his employees, people who worked for him. Um, He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. So Job is prosperous, right? Great life. Can it get any better than that? I have a prosperous life. Everything's going my way. I've got family to to care for. There are a lot of people that Job would uh, have employed, which meant the economy was better because of him. Uh, If this is in Arabia, there's a very fertile part of Arabia that uh, borders the desert, which it it would seem to fit the description that is in this book, that that's where this took place. And um, this is Job's life. But then look at the next verse. Verse four says, Job's sons. They would take turns prepared feasts in their homes. And they would also invite their sisters to celebrate with them. It seems in the language that this probably meant the seven sons celebrated their birthdays with big feast. And uh, not just one day, not just one cake, right? Uh, A big feast, all the other brothers would come, the uh, sisters would come, and they would all celebrate together because they had the resources, the prosperity to do that, and uh, they enjoyed uh, doing this together. But there's a little bit of a struggle here with Job as they do that. It says, when these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each one of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. So as a, as a parent, right, as a mom or a dad, Job is doing what, what we all do for our kids. We're happy to give them prosperity and to build a life for them and for them to celebrate with their relatives, you know, uh, their brothers and sisters on the good times of life. But at the same time, don't you do this? He worried that perhaps during all of that celebration and all the feasting and all that went on, mm, there might have been some mistakes made in there. You ever feel that way? Sure, you care for your kids. You care for how they turn out, what happens to them. You see, as as Job would have understood, the possibility of things going too far or maybe taking taking the wrong turn. So Job does what, what he sees as the right thing to do, he would go and he would pray for his children. In fact, he would make sacrifices, offerings to God on behalf of his children that just in case, just perhaps, something I don't know about has gone the wrong direction, I wanna make sure, I pray God, that you would keep them on the right path. So this is Job's heart. Doesn't he sound like a good dad? Yeah, we would all love to have a dad uh, just like that. In fact, I put this in your outline, pop up on the screen here, here it goes. Job was doing great. In fact, life was good, therefore in Job's heart, in Job's mind, who was good? Yes, 
And that's the way we are. If life is good, life is going good, we have good things, if we prosper, that means that God is good and that our lives are acceptable and, and we believe then that God must be honoring our lives because everything is wonderful. Everything is going uh, so well that you know how could it be any different? In fact, I did put this in your outline also. If you go to chapter 29, way into the book, we're not going there yet, but uh, starting 29, Job is described as highly respected. He's described as an honest employer. He's described as wise, as generous, as hospitable and kind. There's this glowing, glowing understanding of who Job is. But at the same time, as we pointed out, Job realizes that doesn't mean, therefore, that it will always go the way that he wanted it to go. In fact, I put this verse in your outline for uh, Peter. He, uh, he says this, 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, stay, say it with me, stay what? That's what Job's trying to do. He's trying to stay alert. He says, watch out for your great enemy. This is the word for adversary. That means there is someone against you. Book of Job is gonna point out this out. There's someone who is not after your success, but instead is after your demise, and he has these reasons for it. Your great adversary, the devil. This, this word devil, it actually in the Greek, it, it means the slanderer. The one who's looking for an opportunity just to slander you for who you are, what you've done. Find something wrong that he can exaggerate, he can take further, but he can tear you down. The slanderer, he says, is like I say with this. He's like a what? A roaring lion. In other words, he's roaming around and he's looking for prey. He's looking for someone to devour. So here's the next part of this uh, story because that's exactly where the story ends up going, um, Satan comes, the devil, the devourer, the, the slanderer, he comes and he's looking for an opportunity. It says in verse six, one day the members of the heavenly court, this is probably referring to angelic beings that are in heaven, uh, they come to present themselves before the Lord and now a new word for him, the what? The accuser, Satan, the accuser, he came with him. So he was a part of this. He comes, he is before God, and he's there to do what he wants to do. He wants to be an accuser. And if you jump down, it says, then the Lord asks Satan, he says this, have you noticed my servant Job? Because Satan tells him, he says, God says, where have you been? He says, I've been roaming the earth, just looking around, you know, looking for some trouble to get into, somebody I can accuse. And uh, So he says, have you noticed my servant um, Job? He is the finest man of all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil, right? Case closed, who can debate this? But listen to what the accuser does. Satan replied to the Lord, he says, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property you have made him prosper in everything he does. Look at how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Wow. What is he doing? What is Satan trying to do? Okay. So he's challenging the idea of, of, uh, of, of Job's integrity 
and his righteousness and doing the right things by saying, yeah, but he does it because you have taken care of him and you have protected him and no evil comes upon him. Everything goes his way. This is not because he loves you, God. This is because you just fixed everything for him. You ever thought that way? In fact, let me, let me put it the other way. As, as we talked about, when things are good, life is good, everything is wonderful, you know, we think God is good and he is with us, and all of a sudden when that changes, and it does, there are things that come in our lives, things we didn't predict, we didn't realize these things were gonna happen. And the tendency as human beings is to say, okay, what have I done wrong? Maybe God isn't good. Here's the challenge in life. Maybe God doesn't watch after us. Maybe God isn't protecting us. You ever prayed that God would protect you? Anybody? Yeah, of course, we all have. You ever prayed that, like Job, that God would protect and watch after your children? Absolutely. That's exactly what we pray. What happens when that changes? In fact, let me, let me point out one other thing to you that um, I think is important to understand here. With Job, this is not just Satan accusing Job, same way he might try to accuse us. This is Satan accusing God. You set up a system. Of course he honors you. Of course he does the right thing. It's, it's to his benefit to do the right thing and to, and, to, and to please you in everything. And so this is the challenge that he gives to God. You let me touch him. You let me take away things from him. You let me deal with him. And we'll see whether or not he honors you, whether or not he really loves you as you say that he does. Wow, what a challenge um, is put before God himself. Uh, what are you gonna do? You're gonna let him uh, be touched? You're gonna let things go bad for him? And that's exactly what God does. God says, okay, you can touch his life, you just can't touch him. And if you know the story, you can read it. I didn't put it all in here because 42 chapters is a lot, but you can read the story. Uh, four things happen sort of all at once and messengers come and tell Job he ends up losing all of his wealth, he loses all of his kids, they all perish in what sounds like either an earthquake or a tornado, and uh, everything he owns, everything that's important to him, everything that matters, everything that gives him position, everything that makes him feel good about who he is, his own integrity, everything collapses, everything falls away. And, and Job, in his defense, Job looks at his life even though he's struggling, this is hard to understand and hard to stomach. Job says this. He says, listen, I, pretty famous verses. I came into the world with what? Nothing. One day I will leave this world with what? Nothing. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. So he's still, Job is holding on to this. He's still trying to honor God with his life, and in the next chapter, it actually says that uh, as Job is doing this, uh, there's another meeting in heaven, and uh, Satan says, okay, yeah, 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 he said the right things and all too, but that's just because you didn't let me touch him. Let me touch him, not just the things he has and take everything away from him, let me touch him, then we'll see whether or not Job loves you. And God once again says, okay, you can touch him, and Job has all of these boils appear on him. I don't know what that means. Um, I, I, I don't know if this is a bad case of acne 
or if this, you know, so, but we understand something of when you are suffering, especially when you're suffering on your skin, this is painful, this is difficult. In fact, later on in this chapter, it actually says that Job's wife comes upon him and he is scraping the boils. I don't know what that means, but it sounds bad to me, doesn't it to you? I'm like, oh, because I, I know exactly what my mom would have said. Don't do that. You're making it worse. But, you know, he is just in pain and he is in agony. And his wife actually says to him at this point in his life, everything's gone. Everything has been lost. He's poor. He has no position anymore. He has no respect. No one cares about Job anymore. He's here physically suffering. And she says this. Here's, here would be the best thing, Job, for you to do. The best thing for you to do, curse God and just die. And, and Job says, thank you for your encouragement. That's why, okay, maybe he doesn't, maybe that's not in there. But, you know, she's just, she's just looking at life and struggling with life same way you and I do, right? Sure. Now, the next part of the, uh, of the book is really interesting because in the next part of the book, um, Job's friends come and they talk with Job. And their, their desire is to um, help Job get through all of this. I think it's an important part. It's really, really, really long. Uh, there are these three friends. I did write them down because I would mess up the names. Um, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. You have any friends named that? Okay, good. I, I was hoping the names would not uh, res- correspond to anyone here. And these friends offer some pretty wise advice, but they also come to some conclusions about Job that you and I might come to that were Incorrect, and God later actually uh, corrects them because of this. They they assume you might assume the same thing, Job. We thought you were a righteous guy, <laughs> but obviously you are not. Because if you were a righteous guy, if you did honor God with your life, why would these bad things happen to you? These bad things prove that there must be something secret, something you're hiding something that you're struggling with, no one else knows, but it has come to life, it has worked its way out of your life in this way. You ever felt that way? I probably should do this, but I don't wanna embarrass anybody. You ever told anybody something like that? (laughs) Even though you don't know, but you've just decided looking at their life, there must be something going on. I think it's human nature to do that. Have you ever been told something like that? Listen, I've certainly heard of people being told something like, like this. And, and is there anything there? No, but it, it feels like it. It looks like it. One of the other things they say is this, and maybe you've done this. And I, like I said, I'll step on some toes with some people's theology sometimes in this. This is what they say. You imagine, you thought about bad things because Job admits it. He says, I always worried that it would all fall apart that all these bad things would come because life was so good. And they t- one of his friends says, that's the problem. Since you thought of it, since you let it into your mind, since you, it happened. You ever been told that before? I bet you have. Because I've heard plenty of people in what they think is Christian or biblical theology say that and take some verses somewhere and try to turn it into that. The problem with that is it's not true either. You don't have the ability or the power because you think of it to cause things to happen. You don't have the ability to to cause a tornado to occur 
or your enemies somewhere else to group and form uh, clans and soldiers, which happens twice uh, to his family, and come and rob you and take everything. Your mind, your thoughts don't control that, but sometimes we think they do. Sometimes it seems like, well, I had bad thoughts, and uh, my wife will tell you, so uh, one time we were, we were uh, this always happens with preachers, so, and sometimes it's me. So, uh, you know, I'm not, not trying to be too bad, but we go to a place and a friend works there and uh, the, the preacher comes up with this and he goes to this and he starts talking about a friend that he knew and he started thinking bad things about his wife that maybe she would get sick and she would die. And he preached this point. And so two years later, she got sick and died and it was his fault for thinking. And already I'm going like, oh no, I'll say it out loud. I'm going, oh no, you know, and my wife is elbowing, don't, you know, don't. We're in church, don't do this. Yeah, you can't do that. You can't think you have that kind of control or that kind of power or because I'll give you another one. Sometimes people say, look, if you want these good things to happen, you must believe it and you must declare it. If you don't, it won't happen. That's not biblical. It's not. God gives us a lot of wonderful things that we had no idea that God even wanted for us. Even Jesus coming and rescuing us was not your idea. You didn't think, one day I declare, God will send me a savior. No, he sent you a savior. And all of a sudden you realized how what? How good God was. It changes your view. Now, does it mean you learn because of that to stand on the promises that God has given you? Yes, that's what, you're, that's what faith is. Faith doesn't cause good things to happen to you. Faith is where you stand because you understand that God watches after you and he gives you good things. This is why I say Job is such an important book because if you go in there and you look at all that is declared and all that is said, it's not that a lot of it wasn't really good. A lot of it is really good that these three men say a lot of really good righteous things, but they're trying to form a conclusion or decide how something happened without understanding that there is an enemy, there is an evil in the world. As, as most modern day preachers would say, the world is broken. And a broken world will try to break other people. Of course it will. And, and that's the world that we live in. And I know that some people say, well, wait a minute. If God is all powerful and God is good, What's the natural conclusion? How can bad things happen? We're, we're gonna get that one later, so uh, not today. That's another one, but that's, that's absolutely. There's a guy named uh, Anthony Flew, wrote a book. He was an atheist um, for 50 years, and he became a believer, and uh, he was born in a, <clears throat> a home where his dad was a preacher. His dad was a Methodist preacher. He was raised the right way, went to school, Christian colleges, Christian schools, all this, he said, for everything you could, you could tell looking at me, I was a Christian and I was the model, you know, pastor's kid and all that, but as I got in studying and looking at it, uh, intellectually, I struggle with things. And this is one of the ones that he struggled with the most. How can a, a, a good God, if he is good, and a God who can do anything he wants to do, how can there be evil? Because he came in, you know, he was a boy going up uh, with World War II and seeing the atrocities and the evil. And the, so how, how, do, how does that work together? It's a hard thing to figure out. And later, so just to let you know, through his investigation, because he ends up being an honest investigator, he'd written a book because 50 years later, he is a believer, 
because he finally kind of worked through a lot of those things and figured those things out. If you're struggling with it, don't worry, we'll come up with that later. Um, It's just not this week. So back to Job. Job is struggling. He's having the toughest time. Jump to near the end, and there's this young guy that shows up. Um, You can pronounce his name uh, um, Elihu or Elihu or Elihui or some, whatever you want to pronounce his name, I don't know. I was trying to find out. I was listening to people who understand pronunciations, and the best they could say is, I'll give, you, I'll give you four possibilities. I thought, well, that really helped me a lot, right? But it's such an unusual name that they say, we don't really know how this name was pronounced. And he says this. In fact, I really, I really like this young guy who speaks to Job, because I want you to listen to what he says. This, this is what he says. This is the 37th chapter. We move fast, right? So we're at the 37th chapter. He says this. Pay attention to this, Job. Isn't that great? A young guy telling you, hey, pay attention here, right? I want you to listen to this. He says, stop and consider the wonderful miracles of God. Do you know how God controls the storm? Causes um, the lightning to flash from the clouds? Do you understand how he moves the clouds with wonderful perfection and skill? When you are sweltering in your clothes, especially like this where, where we live, right? When you are sweltering in your clothes, we're not there yet, but soon, um, and the south wind dies down and everything is still. He makes the skies reflect the heat like a bronze mirror. And then he says this, can you do that <laughs> to Job? You know, it's the idea that you're outside, this, is, this will happen to us, right? Um, especially in August and September, it'll be sweltering hot. There's not a cloud in the sky. It looks like there's this blue shield over us that is hard as a rock, and you can see the heat moving up, so it kind of wavers a little bit. You know it's just hard as a rock. But the truth is, is there a blue shield like bronze up above us, this radiating heat? No. There's a sun way off. It just appears that way. And uh, he says, hey, just look at that. Hey, could you create something like that? Can you do something like that? And of course, you know, his answer is no. In fact, I don't even want to create something. I don't even like something like that. So look at verse 19. He says, so teach the rest of us what to say to God. We are too ignorant to make our own arguments. Should God be notified that I want to speak? Can people even speak when they are confused? We cannot look at the sun, for it shines brightly in the sky. When the wind clears away the clouds, so also golden splendor comes from the mountain of God. He is clothed in dazzling splendor. We cannot imagine the power of the Almighty, but even though he is just and he is righteous, he does not destroy us. No wonder God, no wonder people everywhere fear him. All who are wise, show him, say it with me, reverence. That, this is the same idea, show him uh, honor or show him fear. You recognize how powerful he is, what he can do, and you recognize something in what he does not do, that there's a compassion with God and a caring for us that comes from God. Now, in the next chapters, uh, this is where Um, Job has really been wrestling. He's really been struggling. In fact, he finds himself at one point even regretting the day that he was born. He says, I even wish that day had not occurred because of his pain and his struggle. He never goes so far as to 
turn against God, but he really, really struggles and just wants to end it. Maybe you felt that way before. And his young friend, Elihu, is there to say, you don't wanna do this. Not because things have happened that you don't understand. Why would you wanna end it or quit or give up now when God is still God? Why would you wanna challenge God in that way to say, I wanna quit and I wanna give up? And so in the very next chapter, I don't have time to read them for you, but in the very next chapter, Job finally talks with God over this. God lets him go through all of these other advisors, all of this other wisdom, struggling through things, and he finally gets away with God to talk with God. Good thing to do. I know that people say, just start out that way. Well, we usually don't. But he finally gets to that point where he says, I've gotta have an answer. You ever been there before? I have. I've gotten to the place where I don't have an answer, I don't have a direction, and I just take my Bible and I take a notepad and I go away and hide. Don't take your cell phone with you. Just let you know, you, nothing that could distract you or turn you away and you just say, I've got to find some answers or some kind of direction or some kind of next step. And you're looking to the one who you realize could do just that. And this is what God does with him because Job is to God. He's like, I need some answers. Why hadn't this happened? Why has this happened? I'm, I'm desperate. God, give me some answers. And God does this. It's just, it's just wonderful, similar to what Elihu does. God asks him 70 questions. Whoa, like a game show, right? And he goes to, and you should read it. It's, it's just, it's, it's fascinating. It's chapter after chapter. All these things, Job, okay, you demand answers. Why? When things were good, I don't remember you demanding answers. When you had everything you wanted, I don't remember you demanding answers. When your kids and all that, I don't remember you demanding, why is life so good? I have to know. You've got to answer me. Why do I have all these good things? But now, now you want answers. You want understanding. And he goes through all of this. This is, you should read it. It's wonderful. He says, were you here when I laid the foundations of the universe? And Job, Job doesn't say yes or no. He's he doesn't know how to answer because the answer is obvious. Uh, and he goes through 70, th- it's, it's, it's incredible of all these things that God has done that Job has no idea, no understanding how they work, how we got there, how it happens. And, and eventually through this, Job realizes, he understands what God is saying is, here's what you do know. I would say this to you and, and to me, preaching to myself, in the midst of your struggles and your difficulties, here's what you do know. And it's better, it's more powerful than all those things. You know that there's a God who gave you life. And he gave you life for a reason. And he cares for you. And he watches after you. And even though everything may not be the way you want it to be, you may not get everything that you want in life, you may not be able to dictate how it will go, there's a God who can and who watches after you and he has this plan for who you are. Job is unable to answer any of the questions but he comes to this realization and here's what it says in chapter number 42, then Job replied to the Lord. Here is his reply. I know that you can do anything. No one can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such, oh, here it goes, with what? Such not knowing a thing, right? But oh, but you're gonna challenge me. It is I. 
And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful, too, too incredibly complicated for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now, this is Job speaking, now I have seen you with my own eyes. It doesn't mean that he physically saw God. It means he, he understands who God is in a way that he never understood before. He says, I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes, and I show my repentance. Job has found a new starting point. It's exactly what he's done. His starting point before was his own circumstances, what he goes through, what he experiences. Now he's found a brand new starting point, but he only got there going through a lot of pain and struggle and suffering and, and a lot of advice that sounded like really good advice, a lot of good religious advice, but it actually did not answer any of the questions. And now going to God, he has found the starting point later in life, kind of like Maria, right? And she's saying, you know, I can tell you the starting point, children, because I've been there. And, and he's found this starting point in his life that God is the one that he needed to turn to all along. And God is a faithful one. I'm not saying that, you know, if you're a young person, you can do that now and it's all over with. It doesn't work that way. You'll go through life still trying to figure this out. You'll go through life still, you know, trying another way, doing something, and you'll still have to come back to the fact that this is the one who created it. This is the one who started it. He's the one that we, we turn and we look to. And just to let you know, you know, because I know you're like, that's how the story ends, Job. So the story ends, Job is given back what was lost. He ends up with seven more sons. He ends up with three more daughters. I, I think this is interesting in the narrative way, way, way back there. And it says, it's kind of like a footnote in there that you would think, okay, this is not the normal culture in their day. It says he has three more daughters and he included them in his inheritance. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Because that was not the culture in their day, but this is the compassion that he has and the understanding of the gifts that God has given and that of the stuff he had, the land, the territory, all the things and all the people who worked for him, it says he was double the size that he was before. Wow. It's just a symbol, a proof that God loved him. He lives a long life in this situation. He understood some things. I would say that Job in the city gate, his wisdom is far greater now than the wisdom that he had before and his understanding far greater than what he had before. All because, all because he learned some things going through life, painful, a lot of suffering involved in him, but he understood and he learned so much more about who God was and he begins with a now a brand new starting point in his life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that uh, you understand us, you know us. Uh, you know how we struggle and you know how easy it is for us to turn and go the wrong way and chase the wrong things in life. We are, we are so prone to it. How easy it is for us to think we figured it all out already. We know the answers. We have the secrets of the good life. Even when, like Job, we realize later we had no idea what we were talking about. When because of the uh, struggles of life so many times, we find ourselves like Job down on our face before you. 
asking for your closeness, your nearness, for you to help us start again, to make sense of this life and what is to come. Lord, we thank you that even to prove your love for us, you sent your only son, the one that you love the most, into this world, put on flesh and blood like us. He would look like us. He would go through the same struggles, pain. He went through incredible pain to prove your love for us, that you understand, and that your way, your plans are so much better than the things we thought up or we thought it should be this way. If you're here and you've never trusted in God, believed in the plan that he had, sending his son Jesus Christ to rescue you, to bring you to a new relationship, to take you through the things that you've gone through so that those things don't become the final chapter in your life. It's not the end, but instead to bring you to a new beginning in Christ himself. You could say, Lord Jesus, I, I do believe that you are the Son of God, that you're God who has come so that I could know him, so that I could know you. Forgive me my sins. Teach me a new way of life. Show me things that I could never have understood on my own, things that only you could tell me. Fill me with a new life and a new spirit. In Jesus' name I pray.